0: Welcome everyone, I'm your host, Aditya. This is Upskill with Jip Sagar, powered by Viziki. Today, I'm going to be talking to Hitesh Raj Bhagat, who is the global head of corporate communications at Truecaller. Before he start, embarked on this journey, he used to be the gatekeeper for B2C consumer brands at economic times with a fellow peer of ours named Karan. Now, what I mean by that is that whenever you read anything, in economic times five years ago like you know from then it was something that Hitesh had looked into or was accustomed to or was exposed to or had advised on to the economic times team and before economic times he had brief stints at overdrive and cyber media so that is our guest for today so Hitesh welcome and thank you so much for agreeing to speak
1: thanks a lot and happy to be here and uh, thank you for the Great introduction as well.
0: You're welcome. Now, the first question that I ask all of my guests, and I want to jump right into it. Journalism. Was it always the plan or did it happen to you?
1: Well, um, so it's an interesting question. And I think obviously it would vary. Uh, There has to be some level of interest for sure, if you want to get into this. And I was honestly speaking, never at the top of my class. So there were not too many options available. On money was tight, you know, in the family. So again, options were limited, you know, going abroad and things like that weren't always on the cards. Mm. So uh, this sort of came about as a viable option, you know, studying within India, doing further studies in... It wasn't journalism really at the time, it was mass communication. So that kind of more, you know, encompassing a lot of different fields. Mm. So uh, it it sort of started... um, uh you know out of necessity that you know okay these are the things these are the options open to me there was interest i i was always as far back as i can remember i was always interested in technology automotive uh you know all of those things and tying those two together sort of
0: made sense at the time so basically was this one of those courses where your uh, parents must have said A. Karna, thoda specialized course karlo. And that is the reason you chose a mass com as a option. Well, is in... so the
1: mass com comes after BA. Um, oh, okay. So I did do the BA uh, uh, in English honors okay. uh, from from Hindu College in Delhi,
0: right. and then the the mass communication course came after that. And did you choose? Like, did you have an option between journalism or advertising? Or... So um, obviously, times have changed since I was studying. They have changed Correct. a lot
1: uh so back then you were more of a generalist
0: okay because when
1: you did a mass communication course you would be exposed to a lot of different things you would be exposed to you know obviously journalism in its pure form like writing reporting then camera like ptcs or camera work like actually being you know behind the camera and recording and editing uh or how a TV station works, how advertising works. So all of those things were covered. And the reason for that was that you needed to get an overview of the entire industry before you really figured out what you were good at or what you wanted to do.
0: Correct.
1: Uh, And these days, of course, it's, it's really quite different and you can really go into a specialized course and, and do a lot more in those courses.
0: I mean, yeah, when I did my bachelor's in mass, mass media, I had a choice in my to choose between advertising or journalism. So I chose journalism at, by, back then. But yeah, I think more specialized courses have come about. But when did you finish your master's? So this was 2003. So again, a very different time. Yeah, 20 years ago. That's like a proper generation ago you graduated. Uh, two generations. <laughs> You're correct, right? I mean, yeah, times have changed. So, but when you decided that after Mascom, I'm going to do journalism, what was your family's reaction? Like, were they supportive or were there fireworks?
1: So, I mean, there were no fireworks as such. I think in general, family has always been supportive and that's like a a huge bonus that anyone uh, uh, can have, right? The biggest bonus that anyone can have. But um, my first job was actually sort of by accident and it happened to be, uh, you know, a journalism job. Now, when I say a journalism job, I've never really done reporting, uh, you know, or journalism in that strict sense. Uh, mm-hmm. So my first job was with Overdrive Magazine, and which as you know, is still around now. It's Correct. it's based it's based in Bombay. At mm-hmm. the time, it was based in Pune in 2003. Mm-hmm. And you know, okay. uh, I studied in Pune, uh, I happened to know some of the guys in Overdrive. So before even the course was over, I was you know kind of meeting them and uh, we were I, I did other internships during the course of course. In fact I interned in um, an advertising agency in Lintus at the time and I worked on some pretty interesting accounts but I realized that it's not something that I wanted to do. I didn't want to do uh, you know client servicing Correct. So uh, when this happened uh, it was fantastic because I had the job practically a few months before I even finished um, my ju- my journalism course okay. and I had the job at overdrive so it was literally like <laughs> you know I'd started I had my visiting cards so I was probably the only one of my course who did that and there were placements and all those things that of course did happen which is the usual case
0: so before, I want to ask you about what turned you off from client servicing. And mm-hmm. you did study at Symbiosis. Symbiosis is today known for all of these courses because it's churning out a lot of great media professionals. Correct. Looking back, how do you view your educational decisions now? Well, I mean, no regrets at all. Of course, Pune uh,
1: was and still is a fantastic city for students and it was amazing, especially from a personal perspective, because I met my partner there, who's now my wife. Oh, uh, I, yes, I we met in college <laughs> in Simbassis, so that is a. That, so that's uh, yeah. I mean, uh, there, there can be no regrets on that. I, I think our time at Pune, which was essentially two years after doing the BA, was was a lot about it. Was suddenly you know a lot of freedom everyone's just out of college mostly the colleges they were in their home cities now most of the people in have when i was there they'd all come from you know all over the all over the country they were living on their own for the first time mm-hmm. maybe with roommates they were managing their own finances they were managing their own houses so it was that was something that was a lot of fun it was exciting Uh, You know, you're meeting whole, you know, new people. Our experiences in Pune, we were exploring the city uh, when uh, we had free time. And of course, the state as well, uh, with those few who were lucky enough to have a car. And there were a few of my batchmates who had a car. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had a motorbike. (laughs) Which uh, bike did you have? I, I had a Suzuki Shogun. I don't know if oh, that's
0: that's a nice bike.
1: Yeah, so the the Shogun was one of those bikes that was built for a, like a competition to the RX100, which yes. is again one of the iconic Correct. you know the Yamaha RX100 so anyhow. Correct. So that that aside, two-wheeler freedom, uh, exploring and it was and it was also mostly about food. <laughs> what is the food that a poor college student can afford? Whatever the best that we could do. It was mostly the roadside places, but yeah, it was uh, our our, our two year journey was not just the journalism, it was friends, it was meeting significant others, it was
0: exploring, finding yourself, all of those things. And in, in this college journey I just went, wow, this is something that I would have never thought about or this is really going to be a core memory for me going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that... You know, during the first couple of months of uh, J school or journalism school, if you want to call it that, yes. um, we had a really tough director, the, our director mm-hmm. of education and all of the, mm-hmm. you know, who was overseeing all the classes. Mm-hmm. He was, he would come into the you know, our classrooms and basically just grill us, like no end. And we were like, my God, are we in like, you know, what place have we come into? And But I think it was those first two, three months of an initiation uh, that so it kind of tuned our thinking. We were all kind of scattered all over the place. Nobody Mm -hmm. knew what to think or what to do. But I think those first three months really kind of tuned our brains as to what uh, this course and this line and this profession is all about. So that's something that stuck with me. The other thing is, you know like really fun trips that we had, like the friend's car. We had his this friend of ours had this old Santro, which was oh, uh, you know gifted I to remember. him by his dad. Um and it was like a really old one. But if you had a car in yeah. Uh, yeah. you know college you were the coolest. Kid. Yeah. Yeah. So I I remember like six or seven of us piling into that Santro and we took off on a road trip to uh, somewhere like in eh, Lonavla or wherever it was, and it was just fantastic. And I still have the photos and the memories to this day. And that's something that you know you you make friends for life, eh? Uh, and you know we've really stuck uh, together um, all that time. And I think that's also one of the highlights that when you go to a J school, right? You may not remember what you've learned mm-hmm. as much as the networking or the the alumnus that you have. Mm-hmm. and this group which is a close-knit group and the you know these are all now media professionals and uh, you know in various organizations not just in India but abroad as well so it's a mm-hmm. great uh,
0: resource to have I would say correct so that brings me to the next question so to recap the first thing that the professor or your director did was make you accustomed to some sort of a discipline and what the curriculum is all going to be all about. And the second was and life and I, in general. Like, I life think in life general. in general.
1: Like, you know, this is a, this is a, it's tough out there. It's not a yeah. cakewalk. You may have been coddled while you were, you know, in your school and college by your family. But that's not how it is in the real world. you mm. got to work. And especially the first, let's say, 8, 10 years of your working or professional life. It's going to be hard. You're going to be slogging. There's going to be late nights. You'll be working on weekends. It was all of that. We were doing all of that. And we just kind of, uh, you know, we we got accustomed to it. And in a good way, I would say, because that prepared us for the real world.
0: Um, it, it reminds me of one of our peers from 360 who has really churned out great media and journalism profes- professionals. But we'll get to that later. My next question is what do you think like you know this with journalism degree and the person that I'm referring to I do not think he has a journalism degree is it necessary to break into the field
1: I don't think it is absolutely like I said personally I don't have regrets it's good to have but not strictly necessary and when I say good because of the networking the alumnus um, the placements that they can help you with and especially now if you are pretty clear and you have a laser focus on what you want to do it's good to have that knowledge you'll have a leg up so let's Mm. say for instance you want to do get into video editing Mm. or you know which is a highly specialized you need to know the equipment you need to know the software all of those things or let's say you want to be uh, in camera and that's also Mm. like very very well respected it's very well paid and if you want to work for a channel or documentaries Mm. or uh, something like that, you know. You need to know what are the different kinds of cameras, how to use them to to their fullest, different environments. So you will practically get to do all of those things, uh, as opposed to learning on the job. Now that being said, there still is a lot of learning on the job. But again, I'm talking from my experience. Nowadays, I think there's a lot that you can learn. So uh, if you can, if you can spare the time, you have the money. For sure, there's a lot of advantages, but not strictly necessary.
0: Not strictly, because the thing is that my first boss was Sucheta Dalal and Devashish Basu. And I think Devashish sir, was a, he was a professional accountant and Sucheta ma'am was something else. So my question, I, I'm just going to morph the question a little bit over here. Have you ever looked at some of your other peers? And like you mentioned at the start of the conversation that, you know, Academics wasn't the strongest suit, which sadly in India means that you know we cannot pursue STEM in like a reputed college. Mm-hmm. Looking back, do you feel like you know third hours over there? You know, I should have worked a little more so that I would have had a STEM degree or still. I don't
1: think I don't think that's probably a right way to look at it. I mean, sure, <laughs> in that way you could have done any number of things, right? Correct. <laughs> and you can still do an engineering course later on in your life. It doesn't mean that. You know, the doors are closed for you. But uh, I, I just feel go at it with no regrets. Where you are now, I mean, it's it's the sum of all of these Everything. experiences of your life, right? And Correct. all that you've done. So uh, just be thankful for that. And that's what I am.
0: That's what I mean. Being grateful is, again, very underrated. And we know where you studied, what you did, and inadvertently found out how you got your first job. So you were at overdrive. When Correct. after graduating you went into overdrive, but before we get to overdrive, you interned at Lintas, and when you were at Lintas, you were in a client-facing role, mm-hmm. and you just mentioned that you were very clear that that is not something that you wanted to pursue. And why is that? Like, you know, what is it that you made you so sure that this is not that I to I think
1: it was just um, not exciting enough for me. Mm-hmm. That's as plainly as I can put it. It was, it's not bad work. Mm-hmm. You, you're getting to see immediate results. You know, mm-hmm. you're working, if, especially if you're working on good accounts at a good agency. But it it's just very, um, a little bit of rote work day to day. You're just doing the same thing. I, it wasn't exciting enough for me personally. That's, that's what it was. It wasn't bad and I still remember okay. some of the accounts I worked on. I worked on Maruti, which is uh, you know, one of the biggest accounts account. I worked on yeah. Maruti. I worked on, um, you know, Boomer, which is the... Oh, of... I love Boomer. Uh,
0: so... I, I, let me just give a context to Boomer. Boomer used to be a chewing gum back in the day with that amazing advertising where, you know, the theme song used to be like, boom, boom, Boomer. And that guy was blue in color and he caught a yeah, catch. The stretchy the guy. He was a stretchy guy. He was the stretchy guy, like the fantastic four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved yeah. Boomer, man. Loved Boomer. Yeah, yeah. And you so, worked I mean, on Maruti All of that Boomer. was good, right? All wow. of
1: this was fantastic. But it's just that somehow you, and it, and these internships are exactly meant for this. You Correct. try something out for two months and you're doing it every day. Do you want to do that as a career?
0: For me, it wasn't. Hmm. And what made you so sure it was it like boring is one part but was there some basic thing that was missing
1: maybe it wasn't challenging enough because you're just ah. in a way you're doing what you're told see especially hmm. when you're starting off as an intern or as a uh, you know just as a client servicing rep so that's what it was and and it, when i and the, the overdrive job when it came about that was super exciting because it combined one of my passions, no, no. automotive and tech. Both of those things. I was basically the motorsports and technology correspondent. And back mm-hmm. then, two thousand and three is also when we started getting a lot of tech in the automotive Correct. space. And there's mm-hmm. a lot happening. And so it was magazines were really big those days. Right? People didn't were not that huge into internet and online. Hmm. and um, i mean of course those magazines are still around but all of these magazines let's say even if you pick up the automotive or the tech magazines they have Hmm. to do so much now in video and online and social that Hmm. was not the case back then back then it was just the print it was that that issue the issue closing that physical feel of the magazine in your hand the distribution of it the advertising of it putting together, the making the pages of it, uh, it was all...
0: Pagination. Yeah,
1: pagination, exactly. Oh. So all of that, it was like exciting work. And the subject itself was also very exciting. You get to travel, you get to do, you know, things like, for instance, I got my rally license. Uh, you got a rally the, license? At the time, because obviously, if you're working as a motorsports correspondent, you mm. know, you would, you would need that. <laughs> uh, I did open... Um, you know, open wheel racing uh, with Akbar Ibrahim. So, you know, doing that course, uh, then obviously, if you're doing
0: that, you have to get better at the job. So there was on-the-job training. You put it that way. When you write for a magazine or when you... uh, Magazines are still fun because you get a little more leeway with the amount of words. But when you write for a print magazine or sorry, print uh, newspaper... The, number, the space that you get is very limited. And that also means that you have to have a deep understanding of what you're doing to be able to justify the space that's given to you. So when I called he is a gatekeeper of consumer tech technology at ET for 10 years, what I meant is that he was able to get all of this information and become an expert a lot of, at a lot of these things by not only observing, but like he said, getting actual qualifications or doing the grunt work so that you are able to do justice to your reader. So that is why it's important that, that I mention as to why is it that, you know, the older generation is able to have a lot more clearer thinking. Because the challenge that they faced were a little different from the challenge that we are facing. We need to keep people engaged through a lot of other mediums. By, back then, it was about doing justice to the space that you were given. Because the opportunities itself were very limited. But with that... I would like to go back. You learned being a rally driver. What was that all about? Like, Uh, so yeah, FMSCI,
1: the Federation of Motorsports. uh, So you have to get an FMSCI license if you want to do rally. It was, Mm -hmm. it was informal. We used to do, we did, uh, you know, things like marathon, like competitions, 24 hour challenge, you know, how many kilometers can we drive in that we would do drives with different cars or bikes so you have to be good you have to you know uh, you know improve your skills in that job and and I, some of those folks many of the folks who I were working with, uh, you know was i was working with in overdrive are now editors of their own automotive magazines so um, i think that plus open wheel racing you know doing a little bit of off road all of those things combined like, like i said it was a fun job to have a lot of people said, listen, how can I get your job? I don't think you're working. You're just Your <laughs> your your work is you get up, you get into your car or your bike, your fuel is paid for and you're out driving. It was I the same. That later is something you must
0: yeah. have heard all your life.
1: <laughs> again, again, like I said, when I moved into gadgets, it was again the same thing. It was like, oh, what do you do? You, you play with gadgets all day. You're playing with cameras, computers, <laughs> laptops. Uh, mobile phones. Uh, this is not work, man, but it was hard work. There's no doubt about it because it it it, it, it seems very exciting from the outside, but there is work. You have to when you yeah. you know you have to do testing. Like when I was with Cyber Media, we were actually in a test labs, and Cyber Media had set up the first of its kind test labs. So when I you remember, do a testing yeah. labs, you have to be able to replicate tests. So Correct. you're testing a mobile phone. You test every mobile phone in the same way. And so on and so forth.
0: So that's that's what I was going to get at. Like people think that, you know, your job is all play and no work. So can you tell us like what does a reviewer, I mean, I, I want to talk more about the correspondent bit as well as to which cars did you end up being exposed to and everything. I think one of my, so
1: again, we were looking at vehicles that we could, Barely even afford to look at, let alone drive. <laughs> uh, right? You'd see them in in you know in post in movies. You'd see them on posters and things like that. But uh, this was so that's that's what made it more exciting. I remember my first big bike experience was a was a Yamaha Drag Star. It was 1600 cc bike wow. back then, 2003. Can imagine? Right now we have big bikes all over the place, and you can buy right. a, a used bike for fairly cheap as well. But Back then, to see that vehicle there and to sit on it, and to you know to literally feel like, and Maruti 800 was literally this was double a Maruti 800 in between your legs. <laughs> correct, so, That's correct. Uh, yeah, you know, I remember driving the Hyundai Sonata uh, this this was like the biggest mass market luxury car that we had back then, yeah,
0: and the, the
1: Honda Accord when it first came out so you know and there was a smattering of the big german brands of course
0: they they've been around since then as well so that was the exciting stuff so you moved on to cybermead i'm guessing that's to be closer to home is that what drove that change or was it like because correct
1: so overdrive was pune and uh, uh, you know my wife had now my wife, but at that time, she had already moved to Delhi. She got a job in Delhi and I was in Pune. Correct. So then I, I had to move back to Delhi. And, uh, you know, there was a short stint with another magazine that I moved. That's where I kind of transitioned from automotive to to tech. And then cyber media came almost
0: immediately after that. Hmm. So what does testing in a lab mean?
1: So a lab test... Like, okay, so cyber media. Let me just give you a bit of context there. Um, Data Quest, PC Quest. Now, a lot of people, especially those in our generation or people who are, you know, fond of tech, might have heard of these magazines. Yeah. Um, and Computers at Home was also another magazine from the same publication, from yeah. the same publishing house. And that transitioned into a magazine called Living Digital. Okay, now living digital was the consumer side of things. And PC quest was more like components, testing computer components and things like that. So it was also a bit of consumer, but living digital was gadgets. Now, both of these Mm -hmm. magazines were created out of Cybermedia Labs. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: Cybermedia Labs was created as a space that okay, this is going to be the first test labs, you got testing equipment to test you know all kinds of things you've got some specialists there specialists in their own fields and you've got this whole bunch of you know guys who have who've come across they didn't necessarily know how to write but then there were p- some people who did so it was more like a culmination of uh, you know knowledge across different fields it came together in
0: that in those labs what was technology? Like, what were you testing back then? Because this is 2006 to 2010 we are talking about. So, what, because Correct. today people are so used to the consolidation, that like, you know, ki Android or iOS or, you know. It was, like you said, it was a
1: very different time back then. And we had a lot more choices. Uh, even if you just pick up, you mentioned Android and iOS, even if you just pick mm. up smartphone operating systems, right? Mm. It was... It, it was crazy the kind of variety we had and obviously people our generation will remember some of the older operating systems. I mean, there was BlackBerry. I was a BlackBerry user for the longest amount of time. And mm-hmm. uh, the iPhone was actually launched, iOS was launched 2007 as well. So before that, even before that, I had devices which were Symbian. I had a lot of Symbian uh, devices, Symbian Series 60 and UIQ. There were different forms or different versions of Symbian operating system then windows phone i had a couple of windows phones as well Uh, and there were just so many form factors i think that is one thing that's a very stark difference between those times i'm talking Mm pre-2010 uh to now now uh, your mobile phone is basically just as a rectangular slab with glass in the front and back of course there are a few foldables that are coming about now and that they're getting popular, but they have their own downsides as well. Right.
0: Yeah. The piece in between is yeah.
1: is not really happening. Yeah. Primarily your mobile phone today is a, is a rectangular slab. Um, Correct. And there's no real innovation in that space. Sure. There are different sizes and the screens are different and the cameras are different resolutions and the capabilities of the camera and the software and the operating system and the, the processor are different, but at its heart, it's just that. And the form factor innovations in those days were crazy.
0: Like I so let me a just give an example of the form factor. Okay? I'll, okay, I'll just jog you through some of the memories and you can tell me the model numbers because I was a literally a child when these form factors were around. And I remember Nokia had this boomerang looking phone which was mm. meant for gaming. I don't remember the names of these phone, but I remember so the one Nokia of those. was the N-Gage. The N-Gage, device correct. It was N-Gage. called the N-Gage. Yes,
1: yes. that and was, there, of course, that was again a Symbian device. And it uh-huh. was such a departure from Nokia had crazy designs, right? They had a lot correct. of them. There was one which was the 3660, uh, 3660. which was like, yeah, the three, again, these are Symbian series 60 devices. And it had a rounded bottom and a and a rectangular top. So it was very, very weird, uh, but the design somehow just worked. And all yeah, these yeah. devices had replaceable batteries. Uh, so, you know, and replaceable covers, so you could customize them.
0: Oh, I had literally forgotten about the replaceable covers. You didn't have cases, yes. right? Back then. Yeah, you yeah, dropped yeah, the yeah.
1: Phone and you cracked something, you just change the cover, the whole cover yeah. of the phone.
0: Yeah I had forgotten about that and I remember there was Nokia there was Sony and Sony used to really It was Sony innovate. Ericsson back then. Yes yeah, Sony Ericsson and they had this orange looking phone which was which had the best speakers that I would heard back then I think they had a dual channel speaker or whatever but like an engage series like for Nokia Engage and 6600 or One. Sony capitalized on the Walkman brand Correct. so they had Walkman branded
1: phones so, Sony Ericsson, they, they had the orange ones were the Walkman series. Correct. And they sounded brilliant. You know so, what my most favorite phone of all time is? Even no, today. Which one? It's the BlackBerry Passport. BlackBerry Passport. Okay. The Passport was sort of like the pinnacle of the BlackBerry series. It was just before BlackBerry went into Android. So they had their own oh, operating system. Yeah, yeah. Right? I remember BBOS. Phone. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Imagine yeah. a phone, which is exactly the shape uh, of a passport, your passport yeah. that you use to travel. Yeah, I it remember is that this. shape. It's a wide screen. <laughs> uh, it's about a, it's a one is to one. So it's a squarish wide screen. And you've got the full keyboard. It's a touch screen. And the keyboard is also touch. That means not only can you click the keys, but you can
0: also swipe your finger across. The- it was, it was fantastic. And this, this had FM radios, Do you remember FM radios? Uh, I like- don't think the Passport had FM,
1: but a lot of the devices at those times had FM. And obviously that had to do with it being a free, you know, over the air music stream that you could just tap into at any time. But the thing with the Passport and the Blackberries, which is still that you still can't have today, is an aggregation of all of your communication into one feed.
0: So I don't know if
1: you remember this, but BBOS, the BlackBerry OS, had a singular feed where your calls, messages, BBM, which is the BlackBerry messenger, Mm -hmm. uh, and your other, even your WhatsApp or other, uh, and if you had multiple emails, like a work email or a personal email, all of these things can be viewed in one field or you filter them like, okay, I only want to see my, my work and my personal email, or I only want to see my phone calls and my messages. So you can filter as and when, or just look at everything. So it was something that no other operating system has been able to do even now.
0: Do you miss the choices that you had as Most a definitely. consumer? Most definitely. I still I still have all these devices. So, I mean, <laughs> once in a while I, I pull them out and
1: I look at them fondly. Now, the tragedy with the BB devices is that uh, you know, they're not going to work because there's no backend, there's no server to support Correct. it. A Blackberry device running on Android may still, will still work. Of course, it's not going mm-hmm. to get updates and security updates and things like that. But It'll still work as a phone, uh, and you can install some apps onto it. And some of the apps may still be, you know, uh, fidgety or uh, because of the older version of Android that they have. But that being said, so, yeah, I still have a lot of these devices.
0: But do you do miss having the choices between operating systems? And the reason I'm getting into the question of choice is because when I look at the current reviewers, uh, current reviewers, and You know, they talk about devices, but the conversation of operating system is hardly... So you're saying the perspective might not be there? Yeah, the perspective might not be there. Like, you know, that understanding of what it means to hold this piece of technology in your hand. Like, I, I, I don't want to rant against unboxing videos or anything, because if you enjoy that content... Good for you. My thing is that as a senior reviewer, as a senior person from the industry, those three things, three pieces of advice, like, you know, remember this, remember this, remember this. Uh, Yeah, that's, thanks. I think that's a
1: good point. One of the Mm. things that I look at a lot now, and I probably won't even say three, this Mm. is one thing that is really very stark today is that the brands today exert a lot of control Mm. over reviewers. Correct. By that I mean exerting control of what you can say and when you can say it Mm -hmm. or trying to give out information in piecemeal little bits and pieces Mm -hmm. and then telling the reviewers that okay do this make a short review of just the camera or just Mm -hmm. the look and feel and then later on you do the full review. I mean those kind of we didn't have those kind of restrictions by the brand it was either a take it or leave it if somebody had too many terms and conditions, we just wouldn't entertain them. It mm. was we had a lot more power and control as a reviewer back mm. then than there is now. Because now it's about competition, it's about being the first, it's about SEO. Mm. So if you don't have access from the brand and you don't get access to those devices to events, then you are at a disadvantage being a creator today, and especially if you're an independent an independent creator. Yes. So it- uh, and. The other thing that I just wanted to say was every um, reviewer now should keep in mind that the usefulness or the value is defined by what you get for the price and hmm. what else is available. You can't. I've seen reviewers review a phone without knowing what the price is. I know. Yeah, that's just not possible. It you should not do it because. Unless you know exactly how much it costs, you don't mm-hmm. know how good it is.
0: Correct. So they're doing a disservice to the readers, viewers or listeners by... I mean, I
1: don't want to generalize by saying that. I would probably say that this is something
0: that a reviewer should keep in mind. To give a context to our readers, I've worked in a OEM, a couple of them actually. And the reason mm-hmm. that we do staggered, you know, staggered... What do you call those things? I, I forgot what they were called. Embargoes. Embargoes. The horrible, horrible word. Brands are exerting too, way too much control, but any reviews should have a context to the pricing and especially in India. And because competition. And competition. And do you see depth lacking? Do you see anything else that they can do to improve? the reviews with the constraints that they are under?
1: I would say, I mean, it, it's it's hard for me to say now, having especially having been out of this field now for almost four years. But uh, yeah, I would say that focus on making it a little entertaining mm-hmm. because that's what, you know, informative and entertaining at the same time. Mm. That's what a reader would need now. When, mm. and, and, you know, they, he or she as a reader doesn't have too much time so if you Correct. give me the information fast in a way that sticks with me
0: and a way that I enjoy reading, that's what makes a good review. Okay, that's a fair point. You have written with space constraints all your life, especially an economic times supplement or... an. I think you were there in the main paper for the most of the career that I Correct. had. So that is a very difficult space. But mm-hmm. I wanted to understand that what would be the tips that you would give to the young writers on you know how to be... How to make the most in the least amount of stuff. yeah writing for a
1: newspaper like you said it's it's really very different and i or rather my colleague and i karan who you mentioned briefly like we mm. had a lot of freedom because of the boss that we had who first got us on board mm. and when we started with the economic times there was not a lot of there was not a much tech content at all in mm. in newspapers the Perfect. The idea, his idea was to attract a younger reader and bring a younger reader to this Technology business tech. publication, which de- desperately needs, um, you know, this sort of younger reader. And how do we do that? We do that with tech, uh, mm. and we do it with the latest tech. We do it from cutting edge stuff. We do it with reviews. This is mm. these are things that you want to own, you want to buy. These are going to be useful in your daily personal or professional lives. So mm. that's what we started with. and we had like a full page once a week in the main paper. That was like a huge amount of space but because it was fixed and we knew we had a full page, we could play around mm. with it. So we didn't work like how a typical newspaper works wherein you have an author or a writer who submits mm. uh, you know, their work to a copy desk or a copy person. And then the copy person makes changes edits suggestion sends it back then again the author makes some changes sends it back to the copy and this mm. happens a couple of times then it goes to the design desk then the design desk does something interprets it and makes it and sends it back for a playback so mm. this whole process was just too long for us mm. so what we did was that we just took ownership of the entire process i'm not mm. sure one working in a publication would have that kind of freedom, freedom, freedom now. Mm-hmm. But basically, we used to design in Quark Express back then. So, <laughs> okay. Quark Express, we learned Quark Express while on the job. Mm-hmm. We learned how to operate it. We learned Photoshop. Uh, I mean, I, I had some experience of Photoshop before. Quark Express is what I learned. And we would make, so, we would be writing and making the page ourselves we eliminated all of these five seven different steps in between Um, and the reason we could do that was because we knew we had a full page we had fixed dimensions we didn't have ads of different sizes coming in and later on Mm. all of those things changed towards the later years of uh, of ET and of course online came in and apps came in and videos came in and there was a whole lot of and the supplements that you mentioned came in Mm. but yeah is early on it was a lot
0: of fun because you had complete ownership of this page, the way the page looked. But even if you didn't have the ownership, you took the ownership and you upskilled yourself. So I guess that could be the first lesson yes. for any young reviewer is that upskilling never stops. Like you went to Symbiosis for God's sakes. Yeah. But even then you had to keep upskilling on the job. So upskilling. You have to. So you, I didn't know that you and current were the ones actually designing the page. That's something that I come to know after 10 years of knowing you you were the ones who were actually designing that whole page so no to be fair
1: we also had almost always as a designer who would fine-tune and help us Uh, we had an illustrator um, Mm. you know who would help us with illustrations for the page so when I say design the page it would be more like place the elements place Mm -hmm. the images next to those uh, you know make sure the the images of the phones that we're reviewing are in correct order or if it's a camera it's the correct image of the camera in the correct format you had to use press images at those at that time right you couldn't just mm-hmm. pick up images remember. from anywhere yeah. that you're like a google image or something like that so make sure that you have the correct image from the right source you're you have the right to use that image um, and mm-hmm. place it and and it was a i would say a a top level design, which would then be completely finalized and fixed
0: by one of the page designers. So basically, if we were to like put it in context to the younger re- readers, you did the wire framing while a professional actually completed your vision. So Correct. And while we sat
1: with them and we did some back and forth ourselves, so uh, I'm not saying there weren't any pages. And, but there were many pages that, let's say, Karan and I did from start to finish. Hmm.
0: You so upskilling is one thing that you would yeah. tell the younger reviewers to be aware of. For what sure. are the next skills that you know, like, to be very people precise. Skills. People, so, people skills. skills. It
1: doesn't okay. matter what job you're at. But if you are seen as somebody who uh, is, you know, who just is reliable and who shows up, that's
0: half That's half the your job, job done. Then. It doesn't matter what are the you, job is. Upskilling, be a people person, show up. Are these the top three... Show up.
1: I, I mean, you, when I say show up, it's like, you know, be reliable, be somebody that others can count on. And if, hmm. if you are given something to do, hmm. people should consider, okay, you know, hey, I' just yeah. going to get it done. I don't need yeah. to worry about it now. Yeah,
0: be, be dependable, trustworthy. Basically. Trustworthy, dependable.
1: So yeah, I mean, this is, this is half the job. It doesn't matter what your specific skill set is, or the kind of skill that you want to learn. And in fact, if you, if you talk to recruiters today, a lot mm. of recruiters today are not looking so much at what skills you have learned, but they're looking at these core qualities because mm. the job that they might be hiring for might be a lot of learning on the job. But if you mm. don't have those core qualities,
0: then it's, you're not going to be a fit. You're not going to mm. be a cultural fit. Huh. What do you mean? Cultural fit, You know, self-starter. These are some of the commonly used words that people know. So be a self-starter. Is taking initiative. It sounds like a lot of buzzwords,
1: but yeah, it's fifty (laughs) percent of fifty to sixty percent of any job is
0: just these basics. Any advice for these youngsters? Any specific tip or if there was one tip, if there was Mm. one tip that I could give anyone who is doing
1: this sort of work now, don't don't be in a hurry. Ah, that's it. Nothing else matters. If you are in a hurry, it's Mm. not going to look good. And that for this reason, we both Karan and I, when we were doing. Economic times tech for so long, we were never in a hurry. If somebody would try and impose a hurry on
0: us, we wouldn't accept it. And I I, I appreciate Karan and you because with you I sp- used to speak about hardware, but with Karan, I think it was one of the few people outside of media namas power and uh, you know his team. I think Balu was used to be around over there. And another colleague who's no more with us. But, you know, I think it was Karan who actually was the only guy who could would entertain conversations about applications. And, you know, he was, he was the only one I could approach at a big newspaper who understood what an application actually did. Mm. And for that, I've always been appreciative of that relationship, which is a great segue for me to ask you 10 years or nine and a half years at Economic Times. You made a shift to being getting into comms. Can you tell us why the shift or what was this shift all about? Because because it's a big change. After it 15, was obviously open... a, yeah, it was a huge change. Uh, but I would
1: still say change for the better. See, to, I left in 2019. This was hmm. pre-pandemic, hmm. and the media industry wasn't very badly off at that time. Hmm. It was. It was during the pandemic that things really fell. So, in fact, I had a lot of people like ex-colleagues telling me, you got out at the right time. Mm. This was amazing. How did you foresee it? And it it was nothing. (laughs) It was just dumb luck uh, where uh, this job just kind of fell into my lap. And it was the same. I've been lucky. I've been really lucky in that sense because all of these jobs that I've had have sort Mm. of, you know, people have approached me hey, saying, let's do this. Et, mm. my boss approached me and said, "This is what I want to do. Do you think you can join us and do this?" That's mm. how we did Et. It. it was the same with Cyber Media. It was mm. the same with with Truecaller now. And it was. I remember I was sitting. Uh, in fact, I was doing an interview uh, for Et. I was mm. interviewing someone when I got the call. And it was mm. a. It was a casual sort of interview. It was nothing like very formal or structured, but. My now boss was just calling me, and I I kind of knew that he was with Truecaller. I, I assumed that maybe you know he's calling about something to do with Truecaller, but it was like, hey, you know, I want to talk to you about what we want to do, and you know, when when can we speak at length about it? And that's it. We mm-hmm. just started talking, and uh, I didn't really have a formal interview process. I mean, you could call it. I mean there's no structured interview back then it was more like okay you speak you speak to your current manager for three mm. or four times then I literally spoke to the founder after that mm. and once the founder co-founder of the company he liked me he liked what I was talking about he gave the green light and that's it I got a job offer in the mail How long was this process for you This process was probably about a total of 2 months
0: 2 to 3 months mm it wasn't it like when you made it you made it sound like it was like three days me sab, but no, just, and because I was already working with
1: ET and I had like I think a couple of months of notice to give in any case. Correct. So when I say two to three months, I mean including all of this process of the notice and all of those things that I <laughs> made the transition.
0: Not that it took me two, three months and then it was noticed and those kind of things. From journalism to being a publicist, what were the biggest changes that you...
1: So, I mean, uh, when I joined, one of my first questions to my boss was that, look, are you sure you want to hire (laughs) a journalism, a person who's done journalism to Uh. do corporate communications for you? Because, and he simply said, I firmly believe they're two sides of the same coin. Correct. I agree. We are looking for somebody who has a firm foothold in this industry. Mm. And that's what we know you have. And, you know, without unbeknownst to me, it was like he was also talking to like a bunch of different people. Mm. Uh, And these would be people that you and I know. And, uh, you know, they were just talking and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, I know Hitesh. Or I know, I know the work they've been doing, I know this. So that's how it was, uh, it sort of all came together. And uh, back then Truecaller was also much smaller than it is now. It was, uh, it, is know, the, it was... These are the
0: pre-IPO days when you joined.
1: Correct, correct. So this was mm-hmm. end of 2019, just pre-pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. I was there for uh, a few months and then we went into the full-blown lockdown mode. But... We, in reality, it also didn't affect us much because we, even at that time, we were a scattered team. There's, a, you know, uh, half of the team was in Stockholm, is in Stockholm. Mm. Uh, half of it is in India. We're anyways doing video calls. That's how we would work. We, mm. in a, in a day-to-day basis, you would have video calls. You'd have phone calls. That's how you're working. You're working online. Mm. So when the pandemic came, we didn't lose stride at all. Mm. Unlike, uh, I, I would say, a lot of companies and peers that I heard from that for six, eight
0: months, there was literally nothing happening.
1: It was a standstill. W-
0: was there a shock factor for you of moving to uh, the corporate communication side of things? Like, you know, did you have to adjust your expectations? In Not, at Not, Not at all. Not at all.
1: I would say, um, okay, so when you say journalists have privilege, yes, to an extent. But you also have to factor in that I moved from uh, you know essentially this very, very large media house, which is so large that people essentially are working in silos, even right. within the same city, even within the same office. Hmm. Uh, there's no cross committee. And I went from this massive uh, media organization to this really small, agile, Swedish company the kind of values and the shift was it it was it was a huge change for the positive I would say Mm -hmm. that wow I mean you know companies organizations teams offices can be like this I had no
0: idea can you you give us an example of what this means I mean a lot of people will be curious as to what do you mean like Offices can be like this. What is this? I'll give you a remote? simple example. Um,
1: okay. You, If you are in an organization that trusts you implicitly, they don't, if the organization does not force you to have uh, a card, like a mm-hmm. dog tag around ah. your neck and ah. to sign in, to sign ah, okay. in and sign out to mark an attendance. Correct. That is a huge uh, sort of trust that they place in a person yeah. and when you place that trust
0: in a person you get trust back correct so i was telling someone a... that you know the more freedom i got at organizations the more i felt like contributing towards their success you is feel that what invested, you mean right you feel yeah. you feel you feel it's my company
1: i am yes i'm <laughs> i'm contributing something positively towards this and i can see my contribution i'm getting recognized for it and your, your sense of ownership only increases when you actually become a shareholder with the company, which everyone does in our company, right? Mm-hmm. So you are also invested
0: uh, from the financial aspect. If the company does better, you do better. So I see that the talent also that you work with is superlative. Like, these are like leaders of their own domain. Working with such people must be another level of self-actualization that you, and you must be feeling because... Over here, how are you measuring success? What does success mean to you as like a corporate communication, you know, head or you know, the global head for corporate communication? What is success? How is it that you're measuring? Because you mentioned that you know trust is implicit and you have to achieve something. What is it that you're achieving and how are you measuring it? So I mean,
1: there are obviously different teams and business units, and mm. each team has their key result areas, their KPIs their goals, their targets that you have to Mm. achieve. And those are all required from a business perspective. Otherwise, how do we know if X X person is is actually over-exceeding or or just achieving or not achieving their targets? So you have to set those targets in place, which is required from an organizational structure point of view. And that's how we do it. And each business unit would have different sorts of targets. So Mm. for instance, for corporate communications, you would have targets that are with respect to total numbers of coverages, types Mm. of coverage. You would have uh, interview-based coverage wherein somebody like a journalist is actually interviewing somebody from the management team Mm. uh, or TV placements or newspaper or print placements, online placements. Which region are they in? Uh, What is the AVE or the advertising value equivalency Mm. of this and at the end of it all, is it moving the needle? Is it helping you in any way mm-hmm. to achieve your organization goals? Now, mm-hmm. for instance, our, our goal is to make communication safer for everyone. Correct. So it, that's the overarching mission and the goal, which is why the app and the service is free. But then mm-hmm. everything around it, every single business unit, every person, every team is contributing towards this one goal. Uh, mm. so how are you doing it how is your team doing it you
0: know and so the company mission company yeah. mission is something that you're pushing through various mediums and ensuring that is you know heard across your lines like internally and externally which yeah. you rightly said is making communication safe for all so yes. is that that is something that you're measuring across board and uh, true caller is a very popular application and I'll ask why is it popular and I'll get to that but share of voice is that something that you're looking into like how much are people talking about me versus talking about a perceived competition or a perceived uh, you know upcoming player is that something that caller looks into share of voice analysis For sure. I mean, this is something that
1: comes with, because, you know, we have a PR agency, we Mm. have some agencies in different parts of the world, we have two agencies that we use in India, we have agencies that, so by default, they do measure share of voice, Mm. it becomes a little difficult for them, because Truecaller does not have very many competitors. Um, Correct. Like, there are competitors, of course, and and they are needed, and there should be competitors, Mm. Uh, that keeps you on your toes. But... Mm. There are no competitors that achieve this level at this scale of performance yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and are this global or this vast, these many billions of calls or these many hundreds of millions of users. There's nobody
0: else operating at this scale. And why is that? Why is TrueCall so popular? What differentiates? Like, if I were to take a gander, I think what has made difference in a good product or a bad product is leadership clear messaging and the third being execution 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 i think you have a great leadership team the communication has always been clear like we have had a lot of you know our own debates where i have tried to corner you into some things but i cannot disagree with you when you say that you want to make communications safe and execution is something that i've seen true caller do extremely well through the years. I think this is what I view what makes True Colour so popular being internally you have seen it externally and internally because you were a user first and then mm-hmm. um, you know a publicist for it. What do you think differentiates True Colour and makes it so popular?
1: So one thing is the the long lineage. True Color was Founded in 2009. Again, going back to our discussion of devices, <laughs>
0: 2009. Uh, being, huh? wow. Yeah,
1: so being present for Symbian, Windows Phone, Palm, BlackBerry, Android, all of these, uh, you know, and now of course just Android and iPhone. Mm. But that coming in at that time, coming in at the right time when the edu- when the mobile phone boom was really happening, and it's still happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know the data was being democratized phone prices were coming down mobile phones are beginning to get manufactured here we've got this huge upwardly mobile population young population and that's now even buying two phones Uh, you've got every um, you know person literally who you know from your uh, the local kirana store to the person who's delivering your groceries, or anyone else, the person who's running a cart, uh, a food cart on the street, mm-hmm. has a mobile phone, and it's it's starting off, and that boom. So, coming in at that time, riding this boom, and providing a service that's literally so vital because the scourge of spam and fraud. Now I, there mm-hmm. are clear distinctions between these two spam is just somebody maybe wasting your time or selling you something but with that came the rise of fraud or scams which is something that's going to cause you harm directly going to lead to a monetary loss it's going to steal your information or do something worse right so those when these two things also started rising along with the boom in mobile telephony You need something to keep that in check.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, uh, today, today's date, right? There's about 360 million users of Truecaller globally,
0: Okay, that seems less. Somehow that seems less.
1: It seems less, you know, I think for a long time, people had this impression that Truecaller doesn't work very well on iPhone. And in part, it was true. So Hmm. it was majority Android. But last year, there was a whole revamp. The app was completely rewritten. Now it works great on iOS. So now there's a lot of growth coming in from iPhone, not just in India, but from markets like uh, the US or Middle East, Southeast Asia, where, again, there is a huge spam and scam problem. And each market has different issues. Like India has a different issue. We have a lot of KYC-related scam or fraud. We have a lot of impersonation frauds. U.S. has a lot of robocalls, they have a lot of customer service, jury duty, duty uh, deportation scams. So each market is kind of different. So you operate differently in those markets.
0: But what makes it popular is, again, the longevity when it began and the trust that it on through the years. Like, I think I think 360 million seems a little less as a user base for me, because I thought that it would, would be in billions for some reason. But you think longevity well, these are the active users right if you active. actually go if you go into let's say
1: the play store today hmm. and if you look at uh, true colors, huh. if you look at the number of downloads hmm. those would be would be in the beyond a billion
0: right yeah they need to be beyond a billion because like you said now 2009 if you have begun, the longevity you know compounding trust and then becoming an overnight success when all of this scam and spam started becoming an endemic on the mobile ecosystem. But I didn't know that Truecaller began in 2009 and operated on all mobile ecosystems. That's something that but, is new for me. But you well. know that we, if
1: for somebody who does not want to download the app, uh-huh. we don't want to force them to.
0: I know. If I don't agree with
1: if we want to if we want to make your communication safer, if we want to give you a result of a number and whether other people have marked this number as spam, you can even do that on the website. So that's not a user for us, right? But it's still we're giving that information to the user for free, to anyone for free, because it ties Transparency. in. With, no, it ties in with the primary aim. We want to make communication because safer communication for everyone.
0: Safe. Whether you use the app or not, it doesn't matter. Your communication mm. will be safer. So, what are three other things or a few other things that people might not know about TrueCaller? Like... That I think one of the
1: things is that we are still fairly small, despite. How small. We are about 400 people globally. Okay. So a a lot of people find that shocking that, okay, (laughs) you've got, so for a, for a long time there, we were about, when we were about 350 million users. We were Mm. 350 people. So (laughs) it was almost like 1% person to a million users. We are still fairly close to that ratio. Uh Uh, So that's something a
0: lot of people don't know. And the last thing I think, not the last thing about Truecaller, but about Truecaller is that, I mean, ad revenue, advertising, has always view, view, been viewed in a negative manner. And I think a, a lot of true callers users come from emerging markets where their ARPU is much lower compared mm. to what, um, you know, a proper mm. developed market might be able to give. Can right. you throw some insights into how does Truecaller own revenues and why are as needed? at this point of time in emerging markets. So this
1: is actually ties into one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about Truecaller, right? Mm -hmm. That if this product is free, there's something else going on. They are either selling data or they're doing something with my data, which is not all right. So it's, Mm. it's, it's, that's the biggest misconception. So transparency is the key. And that was one of the things that even was, was my mandate and my, sort of goal to improve on that transparency in our communication, in our talks externally, that we need to be as transparent as possible about how we work, how things within the organization work, what we are communicating. It's, it's completely transparent. So actually even percentages are, uh, are public, like if, oh, if okay. we have, we have three primary revenue streams, mm-hmm. right? A bulk of our users are free users, because like you said, emerging markets, people don't want to pay. If the hmm. product is available for free, why would you pay?
0: And even if they pay Hitesh, I mean, the average revenue per user or ARPU is not going to justify a lot of these things. Correct.
1: Correct. So which is why advertising, but also advertising that doesn't disrupt your usage of the product. Hmm. Today, a lot of advertising that we are exposed to, and I can give you an example. If you're watching videos online on any mm-hmm. of the popular streaming uh, sites, right? I mean, you you if there's a free streaming that you're doing, you will see a video ad. A lot of the times, you might not even be able to skip that video ad. That means yeah. you have to watch the video in order to see the content. Yes. True color advertising will not take away from your usage of the product, right? It's going to be either a banner, mm. or a text-based, or like a little that you can close. Right? Yes, you can close it at any time, and that advertising cannot be a political advertising. We don't accept those kind of ads or okay. suggestive That's advertising. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, advertising is the mainstay. It always has mm-hmm. been. It's the bulk uh, of. The revenue comes from advertising. And the reason why an advertiser is interested is because of the scale and the reach mm. of Crew caller. So if somebody, let's say, is launching a brand new phone, one you know, or somebody is launching a brand new vehicle, a new car is launching, they want to get that information across to a few hundred million people within the country in the shortest amount of time.
0: Mm-hmm. At the at a super cost-effective price. Personally, I might not be a user of the application. But as a professional, I do recommend it be a part of my marketing mix for a very simple reason. Like you said, if there is reach, there is distribution, which means there is awareness. Yeah, I think it is beneficial for a marketeer to consider Truecaller as a part of their media mix. Absolutely. And I have done yeah. that a lot. Yeah, yeah.
1: Fair, fair. And, you know, they, there's even things like roadblocks that you can do. For instance, you can have your product or service being the only thing. So you're not in clutter of other advertisers. You can take a roadblock of, of, of a few hours or a day if you want. That means, think, imagine the power of that, that yeah. literally every free user of Truecaller has the opportunity to see your ad
0: and not see any other advertiser. Top of the mind recall, if you are able to get in an optimized manner, and I called it optimized because... I wouldn't call it cheap, but I wouldn't call it expensive. Yeah, It's optimized. And that's what I appreciate about it. But how are you performing on the premium user size? Premium is now the second revenue
1: stream that we talk about. Like advertising being the primary premium Mm. subscription. So it's like you said, people who don't want the ads. Mm. So there are different levels of premium that you can buy. Now, especially now we've introduced a few new levels recently. So Mm. you can go for the standard premium connect, which takes care of the ads, means removes the advertising and gives you a few extra power features, power user features. Right? You get advanced call blocking options. You get mm-hmm. automatic updation of the daily spam lists. Mm. Uh, pre-users have to do it manually. You get to make contact requests as a premium user. Uh, you get to you know, do f- few things like that which are not really uh, what a generic or a general user needs. Mm. So it's a very, comes in at a low price point. There's even a family plan that if you, let's say you and four fam, other family members or even four other friends, a total mm. of five users can buy for a total of 900, they're about 900 rupees a year. Now That's it. Yeah. If you actually calculate it, that comes to 15, one five, 15 rupees per, month. per user per month.
0: Mm.
1: You don't even get a cup of tea for 15 rupees these days. I know, man. Even at a roadside place. I swear. It's actually 20 <laughs> rupees in a, a cup of <laughs> tea in a roadside place. So, less than a price of a cup of tea, you're getting this whole protection for a month. You get to use like, the service. That, that is, yeah, that does tempt me to give it a shot. Yeah. So And, you know, <laughs> you are protecting people who may not be as uh, savvy. You know, savvy as yourself. Like, maybe you've got mm. older parents or, uh, you know, somebody in the family who may not be able to recognize what is a scam or what is
0: somebody trying to you know hurt me i think i think you have sold me i think my mom gets so many spam calls i'm just going to get the premium subscription but i mean that sort of brings me to the end of this discussion because i would love to keep talking but i've overshot yeah. my this thing and i would like to end this with like one two things one would you still advise people to take journalism as a career or has your point of view changed on it would... well i mean today i don't want to be the bearer of
1: bad news but it's mm-hmm. not a great time right now to be a journalist to be a journalist because right now it's it's a lot about seo uh, search you know optimizing for search engines it's a lot mm-hmm. about clickbait it's a lot about quantity over the quality.
0: Okay, if you so
1: are okay with these things, if you can reconcile yourself to these things, sure, go for it. But that's what the the reality is right now. And a lot of the publications, the media houses are also moving towards paid, you know,
0: uh, paid content
1: or paid, paid marketing. Content. So... Mm. It's less and less of what it used to be. So I know that's a kind of highly cynical view to look mm. at it this way right now. But that's the reality. If you look at or talk to anyone who's working as a journalist these days, mm. they are
0: looking to move out for these kind of reasons. It, now I want to have, we have 10 questions. Quickly, I'm going to finish a rapid fire. Are you a morning person or are you a night person? Night. One book that has had a profound impact on you. I would probably say Salman Rushdie's uh, Haroon and the Sea of Stories. Favorite historical figure? Favorite historical figure? I don't know. <laughs> no Fuck <Okay>. uh, it. <laughs> best. Pass. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Hmm. Never uh, exceed exceed the amount on your credit card that you can't pay
1: back, like you know, you you you've got it. Yeah, never, oh, never <laughs> go past that limit. Okay. The debt trap is something. the debt trap is something that is just so horrible. But be I, aware I've of always, the debt track. I've always, I've always kept that in mind. So I may have fifteen credit cards, but you I have will never credit cards?
0: Yes. Top three must-have items in your bag. Okay. So first will obviously has to be the laptop. Okay. Which one is that right
1: now for you? Right now, it's a MacBook Pro.
0: Okay. And uh,
1: so, I mean, obviously the phone is there, but I'm like discounting the phone. Let's talk about something else. Yeah, top three Um, things, yeah. Yeah, a a pair of headphones, either, you know, a noise cancelling headphone, either it's an over-the-ear or it's an in-ear one, Mm -hmm. whichever one you like is sort of an essential. And a Mm -hmm.
0: power bank is essential because of all of these things that you needed. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, these are fair. If you could travel back in time, which era would you visit and why? Back in time, uh, probably go back. If I
1: could go back with my current levels of knowledge and at my (laughs) at my age, is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, anything that you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, where do you want to go back
1: to? I think I. Growing up in the 80s, right, I feel like I've missed a lot of the 80s, okay. so I would probably like to <laughs> go back to the 80s and
0: 90s with some of the knowledge that I have now, it, I think that would be pretty cool. Okay, the most re- rewarding aspect of your profession, with the current profession. Current profession, most rewarding is, is being,
1: you know, almost like being in total, having total ownership mm-hmm. and a um, of, of whatever you're doing without being you know feeling that somebody is looking at you or micromanaging you or even checking with you that you know what are you going to do or something like that I, I know of professions now and I have several friends who have are in professions unfortunately that have to provide daily log yes. sheets of what yeah. they've work they've done and that to me is just insane that we still are <laughs> in a day and age that is done and it's accepted and it's okay and people are, and people are doing this. But
0: so freedom at work is your most rewarding aspect of your profession. Absolutely. It,
1: it it's worth a lot.
0: Okay, that's fair. Your way to relax after a long day. Or what probably is it? That to you do? probably to either play some video games or binge watch something. <laughs> okay. One thing you knew, wish you knew when you started your career. That when somebody is trying to hire you, Hmm. right, you are the one who actually has the upper hand. Okay, this is a great piece of advice. And which is your favorite social media platform or your preferred social media platform? Uh, Right now it's Instagram,
1: a lot of, and I just kind of funny, entertaining reels and videos. I find a lot of usefulness out of the platform because I've, I've found things that I want to buy, like, you know, maybe, you know, snacks or some piece of art or something for the house or some, you know, uh, mm-hmm. those kind of things. So I think from the entertainment and usefulness point of view, I'm very really liking it.
0: You're liking Instagram. Have you tried yeah. threads? I have. I tried it for love? a few days and then I stopped. Are you listening, Mark? But thank you so much, Hitesh. It's been, I think I've overshot my time with you by a long testing, but I hope people find it useful because you've given a lot of these tips, which I will upload on my website. And if you want to connect with Hitesh, you can connect with him on his public profile on Twitter. Or, oh, wait, it's called X now. Yes. we still use Twitter. (laughs) They're not going to get us to stop saying it. Exactly. So, Twitter Pay, his Hitesh Raj Bhagat. I am Jib Sagar on this thing. Again, thank you so much Hitesh for this conversation. My pleasure. My pleasure. And I hope people find it useful. Thank you so much.